Hello, welcome to TanakhStudy.com. I'm Yael Ziegler, and today we're going to pick up from last last shiur, and we're going to begin in Paragimel Pasuk Yud Aleph, which is the beginning of Moshe's objections to God's mission, to God's having selected him for a mission. If you look here in Pasuk Yud Aleph, we're going to see that Moshe is going to object five times on different grounds. Um, and if you look in Pasuk Yud Aleph, in Paragimel, you'll see his first objection. Remember Moshe El HaElohim. Mi anochi keelech el paro, vichi otzi et bnei Israel mi mitzrayim. Who am I that I should go to paro and that I should take bnei Israel out of Egypt? So the first question I think really relates to himself. He talks about himself as uh, unable to or unworthy or perhaps unacceptable in the eyes of the people. Of course, he's been gone for many years. And of course, he is also a wanted man in Egypt. Perhaps he's not the appropriate person to come into the, the palace either. Uh, God's response is, so this first objection really focuses on Moshe himself. God's response is as follows. Um, so God's response, first of all, is, for I will be with you. And this, of course, is an answer that God gives on several occasions to leaders who refuse to accept or who object to some sort of uh, consecration or mission, a uh, consecration of leadership or mission that they're given to lead. Uh, and this seems to be the classic answer that God gives to these leaders so that when Gideon objects to the leadership that he receives from the Malach Hashem, the Malach Hashem tells him as well, Ki imach, for I will be with you. It's the same exact phrase. Shaul is also told, Ki ha'elokim imach, God is with you. And that seems to be somewhat of a delayed reaction to Shaul's own objections that he's not worthy to lead the people. So this seems to be the classic answer, which is that you're asking me anochi, and the answer is, is it's not really about you. It's about anochi, right? It's about God. God is going to use the word anochi also in Pasuk Yudbed. After he says, ki imach, he says, ki anochi This is the sign that I have sent you. It's not about whether the leader is personally worthy or capable. It's about whether or not God has chosen to, uh, to accompany this leader and to assist this leader in his mission. Um, now, the one big question about the second half of this pasuk, this is the sign that I have sent you, when you take the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Um, many of the biblical interpreters want to understand what exactly the sign is. It sounds from the movement of the Pasuk that the sign that Moshe will get, he will only know really in retrospect. In other words, the sign that God has sent him is that eventually the people will go to Hartsinai, to Chorev, and will serve God on that mountain. Um, this suggests that really he can only know in retrospect that in fact God has sent him. And this is the approach of the Rambam and the Nitziv. It doesn't seem to be a very compelling sign for Moshe himself, which is why many of the classical interpreters, the classical biblical interpreters, Rashi, the Rashbam, Ibn Ezra, the Barbanel, uh, suggest that in fact the word zeh, indicates that um, that there's something present that, that Moshe is, or God is pointing out something there that Moshe can look at. Uh, these mefarshim suggest 
that it is the burning bush which functions as a sign, in which case the two halves of the pasuk don't necessarily flow one from the other. God says to Moshe, I will be with you. That's the sign. This, the burning bush is a sign that, that I have sent you. And you should know that when you take the people out of Egypt, they will also serve God on this mountain. In other words, this uh, burning bush that you're seeing here, which symbolizes your encounter with God, functions for you as proof or as evidence that I am with you. And eventually, Am Israel is going to have a very similar kind of encounter on this mountain. So those are the different ways to understand the words, At this point, Moshe is going to now issue his second objection. I will just make one other point, which is that this pasuk very clearly connects Moshe's encounter with God at Chorev, at the burning bush, with Am Yisrael's eventual encounter with God on Har Sinai, uh, which is what we've spoken about several times in previous classes. Um, when you look here in Pasuk Yudimel, you see here Moshe's second objection, and his second objection is not about himself, but rather about B'nai Yisrael. Vayomer Moshe el ha'elohim, hinei anochi va'el B'nai Yisrael, ve'amarti lahem, elohei avotechem shlachani elchem, ve'amruli mashimo, Ma'omar alehem, right? Moshe says to God, I am going to come to Bnei Israel and I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, what is his name? What should I tell them? So here again, here we seem to have um, a, a little bit of a, of a, a question that deflects um, the attention from Moshe's own sense of unworthiness to his question about his encounter with Am Yisrael. Um, he, he, again, he uses the word here, Anochi, I even stressed it in my reading of the Pasuk, and basically what he seems to be saying is, indeed, maybe you will be with me, but I'm the one who is going to go to Bnei Israel. I am the one who has to convince Bnei Israel and to represent your essence to Bnei Israel. How should I do this? The interesting um, uh, question as to why he thinks that Bnei Israel does not know God's name. There are all sorts of ways to approach this question. I'll say just two things. One is that I think that when he's asking Mashmo, he's not saying, tell me your formal name. What he's asking is something more essential. Tell me who you are. Tell me your essence. Give me some sort of means to convince Am Yisrael that you have the might, that you have the the will that you have the omnipotence in order to accomplish that which you've promised. What should I tell them about your essence? The other point that I want to make here, of course, is that the theme of Shmo Shel Hashem, of God's name, is a very prominent one throughout the story. It's very important in the story. We see over and over throughout the story that God is either going to introduce himself, Ani Hashem, right, I am God, or he's going to say that the purpose of the makot, the purpose of the ten plagues, are liman saper shmi so that you should teach my name in all the land. Of course, we know that at the culmination of the Yitziat Mitzrayim story, Am Yisrael proclaims Hashem Ish Melchama, Hashem Shmo, God is a man of war, God is his name. And so we see that whatever it is that Am Yisrael does not understand at this point, whatever is lacking in their understanding of God and God's essence and his name, the ultimate goal is fulfilled. And they do proclaim God's name at the end of the story. I will just mention one other point, which is that 
the absence of God's name in their life may well be connected to the absence of their own names, which we've been commenting on since the beginning of Shemot. If they don't have a good sense of God's name, it stands to reason that they don't have a good sense of their own identity. Um, now, when we get to Pasuk Yudalid, uh, God is going to give an answer to Moshe, or an ostensible answer to Moshe, as to uh, what he should say when the people ask, Mashmo, Vayomer Elohim El Moshe, so first God gives Moshe an answer, I guess on the assumption that Moshe is asking for himself as well. And his answer is cryptic at best, which I guess if I had to translate it, it would be something along the lines of, I will be that which I will be. And then he said, so you should say to Bnei Israel. Eheyeh has sent me to you. Um, now, fundamentally, I think this uh, uh, answer is meant to be cryptic, and yet I would say the Mifarshim, the biblical interpreters, go in three different directions in this answer to this cryptic answer to Moshe's query, Mashmo. There's an interesting approach that is pretty much adopted by the Rashbam. Uh, you should read the Rashbam. It's, it's really an incredible um, Rashbam because he writes the whole thing in code. Uh, but basically, his code is atbash, right? For every aleph, he substitutes a taf. For every bet, he substitutes a shin. So you can pretty much uh, decipher the code pretty easily, which if you're loath to do so because it could take too much time, you can look at the chizkuni who does it for us. But basically, what the Rashbam is saying is that Ehiyah is actually God's proper name. We cite God's name in the third person, Yudke Vavke, which translates to something like Yihiyah, right? He will be, but Ehiyah is spoken by God when he speaks about himself. And this is the Rashbam's reading here. It's one way to understand uh, the words, the Ehiyah, Sher Ehiyah, the answer of God to Moshe's question, Mashmo. Yeah, sure, yeah, is God's name. Some have objected, I think perhaps correctly, that actually God never uses his name throughout the Tanakh, making this a rather difficult answer. In any case, there are two more answers. The classic answer, I think, of many of the Mefarshim is that is God's way to represent his essence. What he is describing is his eternal existence, his ability to fulfill promises, the fact that he is, he is will constantly be, he is, uh, uh, his existence is eternal, something along those lines. Many of the Mefarshim go in this direction and regard this answer as an attempt to represent his essence rather than his proper name, as the Rashbam does. The third way to understand this is really the way that the Ramban understands it, which is that God's answer to Moshe is a deliberate non-answer, right? It's a deliberate attempt to remain cryptic, something along the lines of when Moshe asks God to tell him his essence, to tell him his ways, God says, my ways are my ways, right? I will um, give grace to those who I give grace to, and I will have compassion upon those who I have compassion on, and fundamentally, perhaps you can't understand it. So that's a third way to understand this. In any case, I think fundamentally, this section remains somewhat cryptic. Uh, when we turn to Pasuk Tedvav, God is now going to give a little bit of a longer answer to Moshe's question. This represents pretty much the third Vayomer in a row 
of uh, God's answer to Moshe and uh, the third attempt that God makes to answer the question. The first time he answers the question to Moshe, the second time he gives Moshe a formula to answer Am Yisrael. And in this third case, he's also going to give Moshe a formula to answer Am Yisrael's formula is a little bit less subtle, it's a little bit less mysterious. Here, God is going to say as follows, Vayomer, in Pasuk Tedvav, Vayomer od Elohim el Moshe, Kotomar el Bnei Yisrael, Adonai Elohei Avotechem, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, Shilachani Elechem, Zeshemi Leolam, Vezezichri Lidor Dor. So here God says again to Moshe, this is perhaps uh, the word again suggests that he should uh, add this on after he introduces God's mysterious element. Here he says, so you should say to Bnei Israel, God, the God of your forefathers, the God of Avram, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov, has sent me to you. This is his name forever, and this is this is my name forever, and this is my remembrance from generation to generation. So perhaps this less subtle explanation or uh, suggests that you may not be able to know my essence, but you can understand me within the context of my role in history, within the context of my relationship with the forefathers. You can understand what I intend to do based on the history of Am Yisrael. This is who I am. This is how I function from generation to generation. And now what he's going to explain is, is uh, how the plan is going to unfold. This they can well understand. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, God, the God of your fathers, has appeared to me. God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, saying, I have surely remembered you and that which is done to you in Egypt. So after the three answers that God gives Moshe to his second objection, at this point, God re renews the mission. And the first word, of course, is lech, just as we, ha we had in Pasuk Yud, lecha ve'eshlacha el paro, go. And now we are restarting the mission. God has adequately, adequately answered both of Moshe's what seems to be legitimate questions or uh, possible objections. And now God renews the mission. And here he uh, offers Moshe a much more elaborate um, description of what's going to happen and the mission. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel. Why the elders of Israel? These are perhaps the ones who have a, a leadership role, perhaps are the ones who have a long memory, and say to them that God, the God of your forefathers, has appeared to me. And he has said, I have surely remembered you and that which is done in Egypt. Note that the words pakod pakadti recall Yosef's words in Bereshit Perak Nun at the very end of Sefer Bereshit in which Yosef promised his brothers that in fact God will remember them when they're in Egypt and, um, and, and they should take his bones with them when they leave Egypt. So that promise seems to be coming to fruition here. This connects our story both to Sefer Bereshit and specifically to the story of Yosef. And at this point, God tells Moshe what to say to the Zikne Yisrael. This is the continuation of God's words. And I have said, 
um, I will take you out of your oppressions in Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Chiti, the Amori, the Prizi, the Chiviv, the Yibusi, to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. So this, of course, recalls that which Moshe had been told before by God, what he's planning to do. Now Moshe is meant to tell this to the Ziknei Israel, to the elders of Israel, Vishamula Kolecha, and they will listen to your voice, Uvata Ata Ziknei Israel El and you and the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, the Amartem Elav, and you will all say to him, Adunai Eloheha Ivrim Nikraleinu, Veata Nelchana Derch Shloshetemin Bamidbar, Venizbecha Ladunai Eloheinu. And you will all say to, to Paro, God, the God of the Ivrim, has happened upon us. And now we will go a journey of three days in the desert, and we will sacrifice to God. This journey of three days is going to come up again. The question of whether or not it involves trickery or not, I'm going to leave it to the side. The Ibn Ezra does suggest that this three-day journey is the journey from Mitzrayim to Har Sinai. So really what they're asking is to go to Har Sinai so that they can worship God, so that they can bring sacrifices to God. But in any case, whether or not this is a, a trick, whether or not this is a test for power or not, God goes on in Pasuk Yutet and says, yadati, and I know ki lo lahaloch, that the king of Egypt will not let you go below biyada chazaka. This is a very ambiguous phrase. What does this mean, below biyada chazaka? So there are at least three different ways of understanding this phrase. Um, one possibility is that we should read the word villo as imlo, right? Uh, he will not let you go if it, it is not brought to bear upon them a strong hand. Um, the Ramban suggests that villo should be read as an even with a yad, not even with a yad chazaka, not even with a strong hand will let you go. In other words, the plagues themselves will not help. And the Rashbam makes a very interesting suggestion. The first two suggestions really rely on the assumption that the word Yad Chazaka, the phrase, a strong hand, uh, refers to God's hand. But the Rashbam suggests that this is, in fact, a reference to Paro's strong hand. And so it should be read um, that he will not let you go and not because of his strong hand. In other words, don't think that it's because that his hand is so powerful that he will not let you go. Uh, this literary ambiguity here, I think, is deliberate. Uh, the different possibilities are, I think, really each of them uh, contribute something to our understanding of the Pasuk. But the final one, the one in which the Yad Chazakah is actually not God's hand, but Paro's hand, is perhaps the most intriguing in that it pretty much sets up Paro's hand as not a strong hand. And look at what happens in the next pasuk, in pasuk kaf, v'shalachti et yadi, this is God speaking, and I will send my hand, v'hikati et mitzrayim, and I will smite Egypt. So if this first yad chazaka is a rather dismissive description of Paro's not strong hand, and not because he has a strong hand, what we have in the beginning of pasuk kaf is God saying, and I will send my hand, which is indeed a strong hand, and I will strike Egypt with all of my wonders that I will do in his midst. And after that, he will indeed send you. However we understand this, the point is, of course, that God's strength uh, uh, trumps 
Paro's strength, the strength of the divine king, is greater than that of any human king. And even if Paro has a posture and a demeanor of one who is all-powerful, in the end, of course, it is God who will determine the uh, history and the next step in the story. So Paro's refusal will be met by God's bringing to bear his might against Egypt. And this will ultimately result in Paro sending out the people, which is, of course, what happens. What's interesting, of course, is that we know in advance what's going to happen. This is true from the Brit Ben Abitarim in Bereshit Perk Tedvav. The whole story is already told to us in advance, or parts of the story are told to us in advance. And the final part of the story is how they will leave Egypt. They will not leave Egypt as illicit, illicit slaves who sneak away in the middle of the night, but rather look at what it says in Pasuk of Aleph, and I will give the favor of this people in the eyes of Egypt. In other words, the Egyptians will uh, see Am Yisrael, will see the people of Israel in a favorable light. And it will be when you will go, you will not go empty-handed. Okay, now this description we've already seen in the Brit Bain Habitari. We're told that they will go out, they will go out with a great amount of possessions. And we're going to see this again in Perkid Aleph and in Perkid Bet as we progress through the story. But here we have this notion that Am Yisrael will not leave uh, like escaped slaves, like escaped fugitives, but rather they will leave laden down with goods, which we'll see in a moment. This word rekab, it should be noted, appears in two other intriguing contexts. One is that we should not go up to the Beit HaMikdash rekab empty-handed. Whenever we come to serve God, we should come with uh, sacrifices. And of course, part of the goal of this story is to send them out of Egypt, not in order to free them from their obligations, but in order to send them to worship God, you should serve God on this mountain. And of course, we were just told also that when they say, let us go for three days in the desert, we will sacrifice to God, our God. So of course, they can't go empty handed. They have to be bringing sacrifices. The other context in which we find the word um, rekam is in Devarim Perk Tetvav, where we have the freeing of a slave, Eved Ivri. And there we are told that after six years that he has served you, lo tishalchenu reikam. You shouldn't send him out empty-handed. So perhaps this is related to that as well. In any case, in Pasuk of Bed, uh, God concludes this description of what's going to happen by saying, v'sha'ala isha mishchenta migarat beta klei chesef uchlei zahav usmalot v'samtem abneichem v'abnutichem v'nitzaltem et mitzrayim. Each woman shall request or, or, or borrow from her neighbor and the lodger in her house objects of silver and objects of gold and clothing, and these you shall place on your sons and on your daughters, and you shall despoil the Egyptians. Okay, so here we have a description which is somewhat problematic, or certainly the verb visha'Allah and you shall borrow has caused a certain amount of um, a certain amount of, of questioning over um, the course of generations. Are they borrowing? Is this, again, a trick? Some of the Mepharshim actually translate the word request. The Rashbam says um, that the request here is for a matanagimura, for a gift. In any case, what we have here at the end is this description of Am Yisrael who leave Egypt not with items that are actually useful in any sense, 
but rather they're items that are decorative. They are signs of dignity. They give you a sense that Am Yisrael is going to leave this powerful empire, not, as I said, in some sort of sneaky, illicit manner, but rather bearing uh, the spoils of the country, but also a certain amount of uh, a certain sense of recovery of their dignity, which is symbolized perhaps more than anything else in their ability to place these upon their sons and daughters and to restore dignity to the next generation. And so it seems that we're good to go. Uh, Moshe has voiced his objections. God has answered the objections. He's uh, sketched an incredible um, uh, overview of what is going to take place of Am Yisrael leaving Egypt after Egypt has been punished and, and also restored dignity to Am Yisrael after we see that God's hand has triumphed over that of Paros. And that's why Paragdalet Pasuk Aleph comes as somewhat of a surprise. Vayan Moshe Vayomer. And Moshe answered and he said, Moshe said, they will not believe me. And they will not listen to my voice, for they will say, God has not appeared to you. So this is Moshe's third objection. Here he is clearly focused on B'nai Israel. Presumably the Hain is B'nai Israel, although it's possible that he's referring to the Ziknei Israel specifically. He says, they won't believe me, and they will not listen to my voice. Some of the Mepharshim and the Midrashim here are particularly concerned about this these words, given that God in Pasuk Yudchet in Paragimel said specifically about the Ziknei Yisrael, they will listen to your voice. The Ramban has his way of reconciling this. I'm not for the moment going to get into it. I just want, I think, to make the point that Moshe's words here seem to go back to uh, this sort of resistance to his mission, despite the fact that God has already told him that things are going to go rather smoothly, certainly in terms of the, the Zkenim, the Ziknei Yisrael, the elders of Israel, listening to him. In any case, Moshe resists. They will say, Lo And at this point, God gives Moshe three signs. Okay, now these signs, presumably or ostensibly, they seem to be designed in order to, to, uh, to, to convince B'nai Yisrael that, in fact, uh, Moshe is telling the truth. Moshe says, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. They'll say, God didn't appear to you. And so God says, fine, I'm going to give you these signs. Uh, so that they will believe. That's what we have in Pesach. Okay? Let's read the first sign and let's try to understand it. And God said to him, what is this in your hand? And he said, it is a rod. And he said, throw it to the ground. And he threw it to the ground. And it became a snake. And Moshe ran away from it. And God said to Moshe, send out your hand and grab its tail. And he sent out his hand and he grabbed it and it became a stick or a, a rod, again, a staff, again in his hand. So that they will believe. That God, the God of their fathers, appeared to you. 
Gav Avram, Gav Yitzchak, and Gav Yaakov. So this is the first sign that God gives Moshe in order to be able to convince the people that in fact he is telling the truth. And that's what it says here. That's the reason for the sign. And if this is the case, I think we have to note several things. One is that note that this, uh, these signs and, and the others as well um, are focused on Moshe's hand, right? Moshe's hand, which is going to be very important later in the story. Moshe's hand is going to be the long arm of God. We've already noted that God's hand, his Yad Chazakah, his strong hand, is an important part of the story as it clashes with the ostensibly strong hand of the Egyptian pharaoh, Moshe's hand is going to be the long arm of God. So that certainly is one important point here. Uh, the, the, the sign itself seems to have a symbolic message. In other words, uh, God says to Moshe, take a staff, throw it down, it turns into a snake, you can turn the snake into a staff. The staff is a symbol of leadership. The snake is a symbol of Egypt. Moshe's leadership can turn the snake of Egypt or the leaders of Egypt uh, from something inanimate to something animate back to inanimate again. Basically, Moshe controls controls Egypt and he controls leadership in Egypt. And you know, one could go in all sorts of different directions with this, but that's sort of, I think, the basic message. And yet, many of the biblical commentators point out that it's rather odd that Moshe experiences this oath, this sign before he comes before Am Yisrael. And in fact, later on, we are going to be told rather briefly that Moshe comes and does the otot, le'enei Yisrael, right? Uh, he does these signs uh, it, before in the eyes of, of Israel, but it's not a very important part of the story. It seems to be a rather tangential part of the story. The important place where we experience these, these otot, these signs that God gives to Moshe ostensibly for B'nai Israel is when Moshe himself experiences them. And what many of the Midrashim and the biblical interpreters have pointed out is that these are dread signs. These are signs that cause Moshe to run away, presumably in fear. These are signs that suggest danger for Moshe. And so several of the different Midrashim suggest that, in fact, these signs are, at least in this context, punishment for Moshe. Because Moshe spoke Lashon Hara, he spoke evil about Am Yisrael and said that they wouldn't believe him, therefore he encounters this snake, which is the symbol of Lashon Hara, the symbol of uh, saying uh, bad things, as we had in the story of uh, Gan Eden. And uh, this, this would suggest that, in fact, God is somewhat, um, somewhat displeased with Moshe for this third and unexpected objection that Moshe again issues even after God has assured him over and over. Another possibility, of course, is that what Moshe is being given here is not necessarily signs that suggest punishment for him, but rather perhaps educating him, educating him towards leadership, ed educating him towards assuring him that in fact God is with him, edu um, uh, education that is here also coming to tell him not to have any fear that God controls the whole situation. And therefore, if God says that the people will listen to him, then indeed they will. And Moshe should not be afraid. And Moshe should not worry about that. Now, the second, the second uh, oath, second sign that we have starting in Pesuk Vav does something very similar or has, I think, very similar messages. Vayomer Adonai lo od havei na yadcha v'yavei yado b'chiko v'yotzi'ah 
והנה ידו בצורת כשלת. ויאמר, השב ידך אל חיקך, וישב ידו אל חיקו, ויוציאה מחיקו, והנה שבה כבשרו. והיה אם לא יאמינו לך, ולא ישמעו לקול האות הראשון, והאמינו לקול האות האחרון. So God says to Moshe again, take, place your hand in your bosom, and take your hand out of your bosom, and he took it out, and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, God said to Moshe, that is, return your hand to your bosom, and he returned his hand to his bosom, and he took it out of his bosom, and behold, it had returned to flesh. And it will be, if they will not believe you, and they will not listen to the sounds of the first sign, they will listen to that of the last sign. So, Pazukhet seems to suggest that, in fact, God agrees with Moshe that the people are likely not to believe him, and that, once again, this sign is a sign for Am Yisrael, who might not believe him. What does this sign say to Am Yisrael? Well, first of all, we have here a, a, a hand that is becoming... Um, uh, suffused with death, with, with leprosy, and this death, God can change into life. God can make something alive dead, and God can make something dead become alive again, and perhaps also it suggests the, um, the, the tum'ah, the impurity of Am Yisrael, perhaps symbolically it's telling Am Yisrael, God placed them in Egypt in a place of impurity. They became impure, but just the same way that he placed them there, he can take them out as well. There are all sorts of symbolic meanings here to this sign, but I think that the basic point of the sign is that God can do anything. God can work miracles. And if God can work miracles as Moshe is showing them, so then God can also work miracles in Egypt through the medium of Moshe. So that's the sign for the people. And of course, as we said, it has symbolic resonance as well. Uh, the, the, uh, the other way, of course, to regard this sign is, as we said before, which is that the sign is actually for Moshe as well. Of course, Moshe experiences the sign, and again, it's a dread sign. Moshe's hand becomes leprous. This, according to some of the Midrashim, is a punishment for Moshe. And of course, leprosy is one of the punishments or one of the reasons that people get leprosy is because they've spoken ill of another person, as we have in the story with Miriam and Moshe later in the Mibar Parakibet. And so if that, in fact, is the message here, then again, it's the very same message. Moshe did not speak properly about the people. He didn't believe in the people. And therefore, look, he suffers leprosy. On the other hand, we noted also that this, this uh, sign, these signs, may be really directed towards Moshe, but they may be directed towards Moshe in an educating way and not in a punitive way or not solely in a punitive way. And in what way does this sign perhaps educate Moshe? Well, here we have, again, Moshe's hand being activated, right? We're told, take your hand, your hand can be placed in your bosom, which later on in Tilim Ayin Dalid is the, symb the symbol of inactivity. Take it out from your bosom and use it to wield God's power, to deploy God's power in the world. It is an, a way of educating Moshe towards leadership. But at the same time, of course, it's informing Moshe that God has the power over Tum'ah and Tara, over who's pure and who's impure. He has the power to turn life into death and death into life. All of these things are messages for Moshe, who is as yet hesitant to take upon himself this leadership. And we're going to close this class 
for today. And in our next class, we're going to pick up with the third sign that God gives Moshe, starting in Pergdalid, Pasuk Tet.